Thanks and welcome to this Buckhalter podcast. My name is Dylan Wiseman. I'm a shareholder with Buckhalter. I'm resident in our San Francisco and Sacramento offices. And for the last 23 years, uh, my practice has been exclusively trade secrets and employee mobility matters. I'm Lisa Plow-Fuller, and I'm an attorney with Buckhalter at the Sacramento office, and I specialize in commercial litigation as well as with an emphasis on trade secrets and employee mobility matters. Um, I am Jackie Vu. I'm also an attorney here at Buckhalter's uh, Sacramento office. I am um, a commercial litigation litigator with um, an emphasis, or my practice also focuses on trade secret litigation and employment uh, mobility matters as well. Great. And thanks, everybody, for joining us again. Uh, We are here uh, for this Buckhalter podcast, and I'd like to talk a bit about kind of the response team to triage uh, and handle a situation when an employer suspects the worst, that they've got some information that has gone missing out of their, uh, their workplace, either they're in the technical fields or perhaps in a sales environment, and they've got some real worries about uh, the fact that an employee has left and may have uh, taken or used some trade secret information. So, uh, Jackie, you've been through this drill a number of times, and uh, can you discuss with it for us what you would consider to be kind of a few of your guiding rules that would uh, help a business organize and mobilize in this type of situation? Sure. So um, in, in my experience, I think it's important to mobilize a team of, of co-workers to, to, to basically, you know, meet with the clients um, and, and, you know, interact with them to ensure that you the company is able to hold on to the business. And so sometimes you have a company that, you know, had one lead salesperson working with, you know, client A. And so that that salesperson is now left. So what do you want to do? You want to, you know, choose one or two people to make sure to communicate with that client immediately and, you know, ensure that that client, you know, is business is still retained with the company and, you know, just make sure that the business is still hold, held on to the company. Yeah. So the legal standard is called companies have a duty to mitigate, meaning that if they can try to prevent a harm, that they should try to do that. So, uh, Lisa, you've also been through this type of situation a number of times. You can speak to that. Right. So, I mean, a lot of times you want to mitigate it by sending out correspondence, making sure that, you know, the company is really putting its best foot forward and really trying to establish and confirm its commitment to um, working with their clients, especially of the they want to retain the business put at risk by that departing employee. So they want to do whatever they can to really step up their efforts to keep that client and really make sure that that client knows that they still want to retain their business and they're committed to a successful relationship continuing. Yeah, so it's always better to try to hold on to the business than rely upon some type of lawsuit for damages. I mean, that kind of goes without speaking. We've seen that too many times where you know companies, uh, they, they, they have this type of incident that happens and um, you know there's really then at that point a strong obligation that they have to try to, uh, fix the situation as quickly as they can so that they uh, maybe hire some more new people or they reach out to the uh, the customers that might be impacted if it's a sales environment 
and to try to let them know, look, we're, we're still committed to working with you. And we, you know, uh, Phil may have left our employment and he may have, you know, been your point of contact for a period of time, but we're still here and we're still ready to serve. And I think it's really important for companies to, to take a lot of effort initially to do that. And I think when it's more of a technical field and you're really trying to protect your IP, then a company really should look at what that employee was working on to see how they can make sure that that, that the company retains its competitive advantage and that it's protecting its IP or its, or its trade secrets. So that's something really important to look at what files, what documents, what IP, what type of work that employee was doing to ensure that they're protecting and, and that the company does retain its competitive advantage over um, at their competitors. Yeah, because these kind of situations are really disruptive to tech companies that you have right. somebody that's the project lead decides they're going to leave and uh, then all of a sudden they're gone that day, which they're entitled to do. And you've got to have a situation where you're trying to figure out if they've taken something at the same time, trying to figure out uh, if uh, you know, how to hold on to that business and how to, to best protect that competitive advantage that they have. So, um, you know, it's kind of a case by case basis. I think, particularly in tech fields where they've got a, you get some project lead and some other folks that up and leave, um, you know, it may depend on exactly what it is they're involved in as to what you do next. But it's really important to try to. Uh, while you're investigating the wrongdoing to try to also hold on to that competitive advantage, however you go about doing that. One of the things that we have also come to learn is that these cases, when employees leave and you suspect that there's wrongdoing, they move really, really quickly. I mean, you've got a matter of probably days to seek a temporary restraining order if you think that there's some real theft of some sensitive data. And because of that, um, it's important for us as the lawyers, we have a kind of a, uh, uh, one direct person that we're reporting to. So uh, Jackie, can you talk with us a bit about kind of a central reporting structure to set that up and how, how that's been really helpful? Yes, um, I, would re I would recommend the employer establishing a, a reporting group with a small group of personnel who have all the information, who have all the facts about this employee. You know, when I get a new case or when a client comes to me and says, hey, we have this situation with this, you know, former employee who may have taken trade secrets from our company, my first question is, okay, who, who did this person report to? Who did this person work with on a day-to-day -day basis? I want to know the names of all the, the key players that this employee interacted with. And so that's very important to kind of gather that core group of people who have the information and the resources to provide to the attorney. Because again, like you said, Dylan, this moves very quickly. And the, the process of trying to figure out who has the information, who would know the answer to a question that I'm asking, that's important. And that saves a lot of time if you have yeah. a group of personnel that's, you know, that's 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 delegated to speak to the attorney. And client the clients typically know exactly who has access to what way better than we do. Right. And so if we designate one or two people as being our contacts and then all information runs through, through them, particularly given how fast these cases move, and we have to be really nimble, um, that way we avoid situations where um, somebody didn't get us the information that we needed and we, we can kind of keep a better eye on what information we have because it's just coming through one uh, one outlet as opposed to multiple people are sending us different files and you know, these cases tend to be fast and furious and, and, and anything we can do to streamline that process I think is always a good idea.
One of the issues that I think is really important for companies to sort out from the uh, beginning is, is how hard to fight and uh, what, what would be their next steps as far as do they proceed with just um, a cease and desist letter, a reminder letter, do they move forward into litigation? And Lisa, I think you can definitely speak to that for sure. Yeah, there's, there's really two factors that a business wants to consider. They really want to look at the nature of the information. Is the, is the information that's departing their key competitive advantage? I mean, is that really important and critical to the success of the company? So a customer list or something like that, then you know they might want to fight that. But then there's also the second factor is the risk to the business. I know that certain companies, you know, they don't like to sue uh, their departing sales force because other, you know, the top sales reps don't want to work for a company that always sues departing sales uh, reps. So that's something to keep in mind. And so it's really a balancing effort in regards to, you know, what's the nature of the information? Is there a way to protect it without pursuing litigation as a letter and just trying to work with a departing employee prior to litigation, the best um, effort? Or is there something else that we need to do? Yeah, and I think it, it depends on really a lot of this is the risk to the business because you may have great evidence that they took something, but it's not that mission critical. Right. So uh, if that's the case, then we typically recommend they continue on with their investigation to look and see if there's more out there. But if it's really mission critical, then I think that, you know, we've worked with a lot of companies on, you know, constantly bet the company type litigation where information goes missing. And um, so I think that's one of the big drivers and culturally as well. I mean, is this the type of situation that you want to get in? Because once you open the door to litigation, you're in it for at least a year, probably more like two years. And so it's one of those situations that companies need to make, I think, largely based on the risks that it puts them in. So uh, this is not one of those kind of cases where if you're pursuing this, um, because some files that aren't all that important to you were taken, it makes a, it doesn't make a lot of sense to pursue that. I mean, this this litigation tends to be really expensive. Um, so as moving forward uh, for uh, employees leave, one of the things if they won't sit down and go through a an exit. I think it's always a good idea to send out a reminder letter or some type of cease and desist letter. And you guys have sent out countless of those. So, uh, Lisa, can you, what do you typically look for in a, in a good cease and desist letter? Well, you just send a letter to the former employee. Um, you want it, a lot of times you have an attorney, first you have the company send it. And then if there's not a response or, you know, there's some, dubious issues going, you know, that you found in regards to the departing employee, then you might want to send one from uh, an attorney, either in, in-house or um, outside counsel to show that, you know, that the company needs business. Um, but you really just want to remind the employee of any provisions that they have in their agreements to keep information confidential and all their requirements under the agreements that they signed and really uh, just reminding them of that. So those, that's one of the uh, critical pieces of any letter. And just also reminding them of California law. And uh, as soon as the, the letter is sent by the lawyer, a lot of times that really helps to diffuse the situation because then they can, a lot of times the other side will come to the table and then you guys can negotiate something or let, you know, just remind the employee, please don't take, you know, any information from that company. 
it's important to also attach any agreements they've signed also, you know, right. Sure. Just to say, hey, you signed this. Remember paragraph two on page three, there's a confidentiality provision here. And so I want to remind you of your obligations. And I also think it's helpful to CC the, the new employer too. Right. Because they need to be put on notice that we know that, you know, this new, there's, there are former employees now working for this company and may have access to our trade secrets. And so we want to make sure that, the new employer is aware of these obligations to not use any of our information as well. Yeah, and I mean, you can tell when either we send out or you receive a cease and desist letter about how serious the companies are about this, right? Because I think if you know that you just get the form cease and desist letter that gets sent out with everybody that leaves, um, when that when that comes across my desk as a lawyer, I look at this and say, all right, well, this is you know, they're doing their due diligence. They're they're keeping up with what they should be doing, as opposed to the ones you get that say, "All right, you've got forty eight hours to turn over these files," uh, and it's a lot more serious, and it looks like they've done a much more significant investigation. And that just depends on circumstances. So right, and it also puts the new employer on notice that if they do use those trade secrets, now they're aware that they're that that employee might have trade secrets. Don't use them; otherwise, you're on notice that. They actually had that information potentially, and uh, don't use it because then we may be pursuing you in litigation as well as the departing employee. Yeah, and I think the courts want to see some effort that the parties tried to resolve this on their own, so that they send out a letter. If I'm the judge and I'm looking at this, and all of a sudden there's no letters, and you just show up in my courtroom and you're demanding the return of all this IP, well, the, you know, why didn't you guys try to work this out on your own? Why right. didn't you try to come to some resolution to this? So I think that it definitely helps in a lot of different ways, you know, all the way from on one side of the continuum, the reminder letter to the turnover okay. our property, uh, surrender it by close of business tonight type letter, which, um, and under any part, any spectrum of that, courts want to see that you try to get this matter resolved first. Um, also cheaper. I know. You know oh, for sure. For having to file yeah. a lawsuit. Oh, yeah. You want to do everything you can to avoid having to file that lawsuit. And so the, the cease and desist letter, you know, an employer responds and says, hey, I didn't take anything. Here are the USB, you know, USBs that I took from the company. I don't have anything else. I didn't make any copies of it. Then we're done. Right. right. And, and there, there are a lot of cases that fall into that category. Right. Yeah. A lot. And sometimes departing employees might have critical information in their personal emails that they don't even realize they right. have. And so you can... Remind them, hey, you know, if you have it in your personal emails, then you should probably delete those. Or, you know, we know that you have sent those to your personal email, so please return them to us. Right. Delete off file. There's ways that we can preserve those, too, right. before they're deleted. So that's why it's important, I think, to get your lawyers involved, is that if the company just sends out its own cease and desist letters and mm-hmm. tells, you know, if you got stuff, delete it, that's ultimately turns out to be a problem for us. So right. if we, right. you know, because we manage our way through those kind of issues. So I think it's really important, too, is that, I mean, this this area of the law is very specialized, and I think that there are um, a, a number of situations that I've had where I take over cases that have been going on for several months, and either on the plaintiff side representing the business that allegedly had its information taken, or on the defense side where they've hired basically lawyers that have had one of these kind of cases over the course of their career, and they're, they're constantly trying to learn on the job, if you will. And that's a real problem in this area. So um, I think, Jackie, you can speak to that, is that you know, the, the level of expertise 
as it as it's needed and how to be nimble in these kind of cases. Um, so if you could offer your comments on that, it'd be super helpful. Sure. The first thing that comes to mind is um, a case that we were involved in where we were brought in um, maybe a month after the lawsuit was filed um, to defend a company. And at that point, there was already a temporary injunction um, being requested by the, the plaintiff, the employer. And, you know, it moves very, very, very fast. Uh, I mean, you know, as a new lawyer, not knowing anything about this company, not knowing the underlying facts, you have to hop on this fast moving train and, you know, basically become an expert of everything that's happened for the last, you know, two years for this former employee. And so it's, it's, it's very, it's, 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 you know, trade secret litigation is very different from commercial litigation in that it moves very fast. There's a temporary restraining order that's usually entered and um, there's discovery that needs to be taken and then it's followed usually by a preliminary injunction. And so it's taxing on the business. And it's, again, like you said, Dylan, made worse by inexperienced counsel when they don't know the trade secrets at issue or they don't comply with the law in identifying the trade secrets that are being sure. taken and, you know, we're dispute, we're, we're, we're encountering countless battles. Yeah, I mean, the, this area, um, the discovery process, the fact-finding is always done under protective orders, which is um, a lot of litigators aren't familiar with how to proceed through the court process with protective orders. Um, computer forensics plays a huge role in this These these matters. Um, a lot of just straightforward commercial litigators don't have uh, background or experience in that. And I think it's really important. It's like you wouldn't go, if you needed an eye surgeon, you wouldn't go to a podiatrist. It's the same kind of thing where if you um, need somebody to come in and kind of handle these cases uh, for you, either on the plaintiff side or defense side, uh, you got to be really careful about making sure you got the right team on board. Right, because there's not enough time for someone to get up to speed on all the current law. You want someone who already has a background in that because they really are scrambling to try to figure out all the facts. And so you want them not to have to worry about always about trying to figure out what the law is. I mean, you, the law is an important piece, but you want someone with a strong background in the law already. Yeah, and I think that um, that's... Certainly, and something to look for as you're looking at legal counsel is that, you know, have you handled one of these cases? Was it three years ago or was it just last week? And what percentage of your practice is actually in this field as opposed to you'll do this, but you also do commercial litigation of various types, real estate litigation, all these other things. So I think it's one of those areas where um, finding a good specialized team is super helpful. So uh, with that, I want to thank everybody for participating in today's uh, culture podcast.